All right, let's open up with prayer and get this show on the road. Father, we thank you again for bringing us here to worship you together as a family. We thank you, Holy Spirit, for your for your ministry in our lives, for all of your mighty works. We ask that you would illuminate our hearts and minds to understand the truths of your word uh, that we're going to look at today. Help us to love your word. Lord, we pray that you would comfort uh, Marilyn. She's had a couple surgeries and uh, may not be feeling so hot, as people usually aren't after surgeries. And uh, we pray and ask God that you would give her peace and rest, help her to put her faith and trust in you, um, that you care for her and that you love her. We pray these things in the name of your son, Jesus. Amen. All right, so who's got the memory verse that didn't say it? Somebody said it last week. No, nobody said it last week. Did you get the verse before it? That was my challenge. Anybody else? First, before it, if you love me, you will keep my commandments. I'll ask the Father, he will send you another helper to be with you forever. All right. Uh, so last week we looked at the person of the Holy Spirit. Today we are going to demonstrate that the Holy Spirit is, in fact, God. Okay? Um, first we're going to show that the Holy Spirit exhibits divine attributes from the book or not from the book. What attributes might we take a look at? First of all, uh, yes. I was just going to say that, yeah. Uh, first of all, being that we're presupposing up front that he is God, we could say that he has all of the attributes that God possesses. However, there were certain ones in the book, and I think I added one uh, that we'll take a look at. What might what were the what were the ones in the book? Let's start there. Uh, sovereignty wasn't one of them. No. There's a there's a. There's a little chart right here that has them. He's omniscient. Yeah. He's omnipresent. 
That's the one I added, but it's not in the book. What is it? Omnipotent and eternal. And then they listed truth. Truth I skipped because truth we have actually looked at multiple times over the past two weeks. He's the spirit of truth. He's going to guide us into all the truth. Right? So we, I kind of skipped that one. Um, so I've got omniscience, omnipresence, eternality, and omnipotence. So first, let's look at the omniscience of the Holy Spirit. Isaiah 40, 13, and 14. Who has measured or directed the Spirit of the Lord? Or what man shows him his counsel? Whom did he consult? And who made him understand? Who taught him the path of justice? And taught him knowledge? And showed him the way of understanding? Um... I don't know if you've noticed, but in the Bible, rhetorical questions usually have a point to them. To the questions that Isaiah asked right there, what would be the obvious answer? Nobody. The answer is nobody. And the implication of that answer is he didn't need it. Holy Spirit of the Lord inherently knows all things. Who measured the spirit of the Lord? Nobody. What man showed him his counsel? Nobody did. Did God consult anybody? Or did anybody help him understand something? Did anybody teach him the path of justice? Or teach him knowledge? Or show him the way of understanding? No, the Holy Spirit of the Lord knows all of these things inherently. Therefore, he is omniscient. John fourteen twenty five to 26. These things I have spoken to you while I am still with you, but the Helper, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, he will teach you some things. Oh, no, wait, that says all things and bring to your remembrance all that I have said to you. So not only is the Holy Spirit going to remind you of things that Christ said, but he's going to teach you all things, all things that the apostles needed for their ministry. And... If he was able to do that, he had to certainly possess that knowledge. Um, but there's more. John sixteen thirteen, When the Spirit of truth comes, he will guide you into all the truth. For he will not speak on his own authority, but whatever he hears, he will speak. And he will declare to you the things that are to come. He will guide you into all of the truth. And in order to do that, he must possess all the truth. The only one who possesses all truth is God. One more. 1 Corinthians 2, 9 and 11. But at is at, as it is written, what no eye has seen, nor ear heard, nor the heart of man imagined, what God has prepared for those who love him, these things God has revealed to us through the Spirit. For the Spirit searches everything even the depths of God. For who knows a person's thoughts except the spirit of that person which is in him? So also no one comprehends the thoughts of God except the spirit of God. The Holy Spirit searches all things and comprehends the thoughts of God, the depths of God's mind. God is infinite, Therefore, his knowledge is infinite 
And for somebody to be able to comprehend all of that infinite knowledge, he must be also infinite. And since only God is infinite, the logical conclusion is the Holy Spirit is omniscient and God. Next, let's look at the omnipresence. This one's pretty straightforward. Psalm 139, 7 to 12. Where shall I go from your spirit? More rhetorical questions with obvious answers. Or where shall I flee from your presence? If I ascend to heaven, you are there. If I make my bed in Sheol, you are there. If I take the wings of the morning and dwell in the uttermost parts of the sea, even there your hand shall lead me and your right hand shall hold me. If I say, surely the darkness shall cover me and the light about me be night. Even the darkness is not dark to you. The night is bright as day for darkness is as light with you. Where shall I go from your spirit? Nowhere. Because the spirit of the Lord is everywhere. Omnipresent. And only God is omnipresent. The eternality of the Holy Spirit. Um... Hebrews 9:13 to 14 the book gives us that one for if the blood of goats and bulls and the sprinkling of, of defiled persons with the ashes of a heifer sanctify for the purification of the flesh how much more will the blood of Christ who through the eternal spirit offered himself without blemish to God purify our conscience from dead works to serve the living God also pretty straightforward the eternal spirit and only God is eternal Um, we can also draw from the fact that the Holy Spirit was there in creation before time even began. That's a pretty good indication. He is also the Spirit that proceeds from the Father in John fifteen twenty six. If God, if the Father is eternal, then the Spirit necessarily proceeds from Him eternal, eternally. Just as the Son is eternally begotten, who is also God. And, as I just said, he is the Spirit of Christ, who, uh, Charlie went through that lesson, right? Uh, And demonstrated the deity of Christ. And if he is the Spirit of Christ, who is eternal, he uh, is also eternal. All right, omnipotence. Where might we look for examples of the omnipotence of the Holy Spirit? It's not in the book, so. Creation? I think I have, I think I listed four. I don't remember. We'll find out. The omnipotence of the Holy Spirit is demonstrated in that he performs works that can only be performed by God himself. Charlie said creation. Regeneration. Regeneration. 
the incarnation. Exorcism. Or as us non-Romanists would say, casting out demons. And resurrection. Certainly there is more, but these are the ones I decided to look at. So, first off, creation. We've already gone over this one. Genesis 1, 1 and 2. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. The earth was without form and void, and darkness was over the face of the deep, and the Spirit of God was hovering over the face of the waters. And remember we said the, the Hebrew word for hovering was rachaf, and it uh, gives with it the idea of brooding as a hen over its uh, chicks. So God, the Holy Spirit in creation, is brooding, lovingly cultivating his creation. The Holy Spirit was also active in the incarnation. Luke one thirty five, And the angel answered her, The Holy Spirit will come upon you, and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. Therefore, the child to be born will be called Holy, the Son of God. Uh, last I checked, nobody other than God was able to place the Son of God in the womb of a virgin I mean, anybody else? I haven't heard anybody else do that. Okay. Uh, exorcism. Matthew 28, 12, 28. Jesus says, But if it is by the Spirit of God that I cast out demons, then the kingdom of God has come upon you. Any word on that? No objection? Someone might say that uh, Satan worshipers or... Um, Wiccans might attempt to manipulate demons to perform tasks. Drive Jesus. Yeah. Uh, my point of mentioning that is that Although people might think that they're manipulating demons, it's quite self-deceptive to think that they are themselves not the pawns of evil forces. If they think that they can coerce demons in some way. Regeneration. We looked at this one also. <clears throat> Titus three five says, "By the wa- <clears throat> excuse me, by the washing of regeneration and renewal of the Holy Spirit." Only God can regenerate. Only God has the ability to take a heart of stone and turn it into a heart of flesh. And resurrection, Romans eight, ten, and 11. But if Christ is in you, although the body is dead because of sin, the spirit is life because of righteousness. If the spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you, he who raised Christ Jesus from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies through his spirit who dwells in you. Only the spirit has the ability to bring um, dead people to life, both spiritually and physically. Um, As if we needed it, a couple more passages for evidence. 
that the Holy Spirit is God. Second Corinthians three fifteen to 18. Yes, to this day, whenever Moses is read, a veil lies over their hearts. But when one turns to the Lord, the veil is removed. Now, the Lord is the spirit. And where the spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. And we all with unveiled face beholding the glory of the Lord are being transformed into the same image from one degree of glory to another. For this comes from the Lord who is the spirit. Pretty blatant. And again, Acts 5, 3 to 4. But Peter said, Ananias, why has Satan filled your heart to lie to the Holy Spirit and to keep back for yourself part of the proceeds of the land? While it remained unsold, did it not remain your own? And after it was sold, was it not at your disposal? Why is it that you have contrived this deed in your heart? You have not lied to man, but to God. Wait a minute, Peter. Didn't you just say that he lied to the Holy Spirit? And then you said he lied to God. So which is it? Yes. He did lie to God, the Holy Spirit. <laughs> All right. Moving on. We're getting through more than one section in one setting. It's a milestone. Will we finish today? No. The ministry of the Holy Spirit specifically in salvation. So we're going to look at conviction of sin. What else might we look at? The Holy Spirit, specifically in uh, the work of salvation. One of them we've already mentioned. Regeneration. And I think they're all in the book. I think. Indwelling and sealing. They actually might only be in the teacher's manual. So I'll just give them to you then. Acknowledging Jesus is Lord. He enables us to acknowledge Jesus as Lord. Regeneration, indwelling, sealing, sanctification, and baptism of the Spirit. All right, first let's look at, at conviction of sin. John sixteen seven to 9. Nevertheless, I tell you the truth. It is to your advantage that I go away. For if I do not go away, the helper will not come to you. But if I go, I will send him to you. And when he comes, he will convict the world concerning sin and righteousness and judgment concerning sin because they do not believe in me. So the Holy Spirit convicts the world of sin. He enables us to acknowledge Jesus as Lord. 1 Corinthians 12.3 Therefore, I want you to understand that no one speaking in the Spirit of God ever says, Jesus is accursed. And no one can say, Jesus is Lord, except in the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit, again, active in regeneration. Titus 3.5 By the washing of regeneration and renewal of the Holy Spirit. He indwells believers. 1 Corinthians 3:16. Do you not know that you are God's temple 
and that God's spirit dwells in you. Romans 8, 9. You, however, are not in the flesh, but in the spirit. If, in fact, the spirit of God dwells in you, anyone who does not have the spirit of Christ does not belong to him. I thought this morning... about how differently our walk with the Lord might be if we meditated on this fact more often than we probably do. That we are indwelt by the Spirit and He is with us when we speak sharply to one of our loved ones. Or when we look at something we ought not to look at. Or we give in to our self-control beyond the point our conscience allows us. More different than Ananias. No different than Ananias, yep. Or when we say something about someone who's not present. If we intentionally meditated more often on the fact that the Holy Spirit is in us and indwelling us, we probably would think twice before doing those things. I know I'm guilty. Sealing. This is my favorite part of the lesson. I love this about the Holy Spirit. Ephesians 1, 13 and 14. In Him you also, when you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, and believed in Him, were sealed with the promised Holy Spirit, who is the guarantee of our inheritance until we acquire possession of it to the praise of His glory. Second Corinthians 1, 21 and 22. And it is God who establishes us with you in Christ and has anointed us and who has also put His seal on us and given us His Spirit in our hearts as a guarantee. Um, on the sealing of the, the Holy Spirit, Edmund Clowney, the first president of Westminster Theological Seminary in Philadelphia, has this to say. By being present in the Spirit, God not only claims us for Himself, He also gives us claim on him the spirit certifies his promise his pledge to us indeed the spirit is god's keeping of his promise god's deed of purchase is sealed to the day of redemption not merely by an outward sign as circumcision was a seal of abraham's faith but by keeping of the promise of the father as jesus said the coming of the spirit is the blessing promised to abraham Paul, therefore, speaks of the Spirit as God's down payment on full and final salvation. If your credit is good, a car salesman may be happy to arrange a loan to fund your purchase. But you may be sure that he will also demand a down payment. The down payment is in the currency of the final payment. Some of that final payout is made up front. That is the picture Paul gives. Heaven itself offers no blessing greater than than that of personal fellowship with the Lord. That is precisely the blessing now brought to the church 
to you by the presence of the Lord, the Spirit. In our union with Christ, we are being built together to become a dwelling in which God lives by his Spirit. The Old Testament tabernacle was filled with the cloud of God's glory. The New Testament tabernacle is first the physical body of Jesus Christ, who was filled with the Spirit, and now is also the body of Christ, his church, which the Spirit fills with Jesus. God's down payment is the glory of the Lord begun here below. In giving us the deposit of himself, God gives us the assurance of his love and hope does not disappoint us because God has poured out his love into our hearts by the Holy Spirit whom he has given us. The love that God has for us is the love that he showed when we were his enemies and Christ died for us. Who then shall separate us from the love of Christ? The seal of love is on his heart of grace and his arm of power, love that is stronger than death. That really blessed me. Thought I'd share it. Okay, next, sanctification. According to the Westminster Shorter Catechism, uh, sanctification is the work of God's free grace, whereby we are renewed in the whole man after the image of God and are enabled more and more to die unto sin and live unto righteousness. Sanctification is the process by which God, through the Spirit, conforms us to the image of Christ, enables us to put to death the deeds of the body, causes us to love righteousness and to act accordingly. And as I'm sure you're aware, It is not something that happens overnight. Romans 8.13 For if you live according to the flesh, you will die. But if by the Spirit you put to death the deeds of the body, you will live. 2 Corinthians 3.18 And we all, with unveiled face, beholding the glory of the Lord, are being transformed into the same image, from one degree of glory to another, for this comes from the Lord, who is the Spirit. And then Paul paints an awesome picture of this in Galatians five sixteen to 25. But I say, walk by the Spirit, and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. For the desires of the flesh are against the Spirit, and the desires of the Spirit are against the flesh. For these are opposed to each other to keep you from doing the things you want to do. But if you are led by the spirit, you are not under the law. Now, the works of the flesh are evident. Sexual immorality, impurity, sensuality, idolatry, sorcery, enmity, strife, jealousy, fits of anger, rivalries, dissensions, divisions, envy, drunkenness, orgies, and things like these. I warn you as I warned you before that those who do such things will not inherit the kingdom of God in contrast to the deeds of the flesh. But the works or the fruit of the spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control against such things. There is no law. And those who belong to Christ have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. 
if we live by the Spirit, let us also keep in step with the Spirit. All right, moving on to baptism of the Spirit. To initiate this small section, I'm going to ask a question. Is the baptism of the Holy Spirit something that occurs at the point of conversion or something that may or may not occur at a later point in the life of a believer? Jack says at conversion. Jen thinks it's the latter. The pastor's wife thinks that baptism of the spirit. Pray for her soul. Yes, we will. That is, of course, she does not, obviously. Um, but for the sake of argument, let's look at a couple passages real quick. Because that is quite popular to believe the latter. Acts 19, 1, and three, 1 to 3. And it happened that while Apollos was at Corinth, Paul passed through the inland country and came to Ephesus. There he found some disciples, some disciples. Paul found some disciples. Be clear. And he said to them, did you receive the Holy Spirit when you believed? Odd question to ask. And they said, no, we have not even heard that there is a Holy Spirit. And he said, into what then were you baptized? They said, into John's baptism. First glance, this looks as as though there are believers, disciples, we assume believing, who have not received the Holy Spirit. Acts 19, 4-7. And Paul said, John baptized with the baptism of repentance, telling the people to believe in the one who was to come after him, that is, Jesus. On hearing this, they were baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus. And when Paul laid his hands on them, the Holy Spirit came on them, and they began speaking in tongues and prophesying. There were about 12 men in all. Not to mention, on the day of Pentecost, the Holy Spirit came down in power and people began to speak in tongues. And so the position of the baptism of the Spirit as something that takes place, or may or may not take place after conversion, is that um, there are those who believe And are saved, but have not received this baptism of the Spirit. A second powerful encounter of the Holy Spirit that is normally accompanied by the gift of tongues. You could draw that conclusion from these passages. But, being good Bereans... Let's look at some other passages of Scripture. How about we do that? Yes. 
Yeah. Some sign gift, yeah. First Corinthians twelve thirteen. For in one spirit we were all baptized into one body. Jews or Greeks, slaves or free, and all were made to drink of one spirit. If it is the case that there are believers who have not been baptized by the Spirit, this would be false. Because Paul says that all of us were baptized into the one Spirit, or by the one Spirit, into one body. Ephesians 1, 13-14 In him you also, when you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, and believed in him, were sealed with the promised Holy Spirit, who is the guarantee of our inheritance until we acquire possession of it to the praise of his glory. Sealed, uh, I may have put down the wrong passage, actually. No, that, that's the one the book uses. Uh, Acts 2, 38 and 39. And Peter said to them, Repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ, for the forgiveness of your sins, and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. For the promise is for you and for your children and for all who are far off, everyone whom the Lord our God calls to himself. Everyone receives the gift of the Holy Spirit. Not some believers and others a second time later on. So, shockingly, I ended a couple minutes early. I was not prepared for that. So, does anybody have anything to say in regards to any of that? Questions, objections, corrections, wisdom? Yes. The, the disciples, Jesus telling the, uh, the disciples that he's leaving. And they're like, where are you going? You know, as if he hadn't told them before. And uh, he says, it's better that I go because I'll send the helper to you. We'll be with you forever. Because Jesus, although he is God, as the incarnate son, he's limited by time and space in the flesh he can't be with every Christian all the time intimately except by his spirit so they're thinking how is that going to be better you're going to be gone they had no idea what we were going to experience 
right? Being indwelt by his spirit is certainly more profound and more beneficial to us, to all of us, not just 12 apostles. I'm I'm sh- I'm sure glad that his continual presence is a guarantee and a a seal. If I was him, I'd have left me a long time ago. But he is far more gracious than I am, that's for sure. Yeah, the Pentecostal movement has distorted the Holy Spirit quite a bit. <laughs> One of the other benefits that I thought of this past week that I have experienced and don't think I'm a charismatic um, but when Jesus said that he would bring to our remembrance all that he said, there has been a time where somebody who was an unbeliever asked me a question and I was thoroughly unprepared to answer the question and I started to answer it. And after the conversation was done and the person walked away in retrospect, I listened to my answer and could acknowledge that it was true according to scripture. I had somewhere along the way in the word heard the correct answer but did not have it at all in my mind. One minute. Anybody got anything else?
And I need a lot of help in those areas. I don't know about you guys. I didn't just one day thoroughly understand the doctrine of justification by faith alone. I didn't always see the ugly warts of sin that I have. And it's the Holy Spirit that, through the Word, brings those things to light. All right, let's pray. <clears throat> Holy Spirit, we, we love you and we praise you. We are so thankful for your ministry in our lives. Thank you for convicting us of sin, for bringing to mind the words of Christ, for helping us in our weakness. But most of all, uh, we thank you for exalting Jesus Christ. I ask, Holy Spirit, that you would, in each of our hearts and minds, that you would exalt Christ to his rightful place on the throne of our hearts. That you would enable us to glorify him and worship him the extent that he deserves. We ask that you would continue to work in our lives and continue to conform us to the image of your son. Help us to rely on your power to put sin to death. Help us to love righteousness. Help us to desire to obey the laws of God from the heart. Bless the rest of our service today, God, and we ask that you would um, be with Aaron as he preaches and with the music team as they lead us in praise. We pray these things in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen.